I want to keep this as simple and hopefully as interesting as possible that the young don't get tired and fall asleep. Now sometimes in a Sunday morning service, the older get tired and fall asleep. Ulster people are good people, aren't they? They're great. They're unique. You're preaching away and they're sleeping. And they can still say amen. They talk in their sleep. But I know you'll not go to sleep tonight. Folks, I want to read to you from Psalm 25. I'm not going to preach on it, but I believe that that psalm would have been so appropriate uh, to the covenanters in their struggle. Psalm 25. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy way, ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions, According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net, turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Just a wee word of prayer, folks. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fellowship of God's people, for the Calvary bond that unites us in Christ. And as, Lord, we consider thy wonders of old and thy workings with men of a bygone age, that might be an inspiration to us to trust thee for the days that lie ahead. We pray, Lord, that you'll give us understanding and clarity of thought, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thinking about the Covenanters and their faith and their fight. And the battle, of course, of the Scottish Covenanters against the authorities that were threatening their faith and their form of worship is one, I believe, that has inspired and challenged many people down through the different centuries. 
When we come to think about the covenanters and their faith and their fight, we have to understand that what they wanted was very, very simple. All they wanted was freedom to follow Christ. All they wanted was that they might worship God as they felt the scriptures teach us how to worship him. The principle contended for at the Reformation, you will understand, was the absolute authority of God's word. The word of God was law, and individuals, churches, nations must yield to God's word. However, King Henry VIII contended that the crown was the absolute authority. In many ways, folks, the Covenanter battle was similar to the battle of the Reformation. A battle against Erastianism, which taught that the state is superior to the church and ecclesiastical matters. However, the church, as you and I know, and as the Covenanters sought to defend, is independent of and distinct from the civil institutions. After all, Jesus said in John chapter 18 and verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. So tonight I just want to give a brief sketch outline that even the young may catch an interest in religious history. Now we lived in Edinburgh for two years and have been there many times since that. And every time we go, we go to Greyfriars Graveyard. Many of you will know that for 42 years I worked in the prison and I sought to bring the gospel there. And I used to overhear the priests talking among themselves and saying, what pilgrimages they were going on. Well, every time we are in the city of Edinburgh, we go on a pilgrimage. And that pilgrimage takes us to Greyfriars Cemetery. Now, there's many people go to Greyfriars Cemetery. And there's other interests there, you see. I'm sure many know the story of Greyfriars Bobby, the little dog that slept on his master's grave after he died. Well, then the dog was buried there, and, of course, the Americans, they got together and put money up, and, of course, there's this headstone and all. And so many people, they think the only history in Greyfriars graveyard is Greyfriars Bobby. And they probably don't know the history of the Covenanters, or... Maybe they conveniently forget. It was Winston Churchill who ever said, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You know, the sad thing is this, folks. You could travel through Scotland, talk about the Covenanters. Many of them don't know what you're talking about. I remember pulling into a village. We'd been to a little Covenanter Museum, and there's many of those little museums dotted throughout, just on farmyards. 
And also there in the graveyard of that church, there's quite a number of Covenanter graves, and they are actually identified and marked. People didn't know a thing about it. Them just living in the village. It's not because those responsible for it would have told them. They just weren't interested. And I was saying to Mr. Harris, I was just reading before I came out about the Church of Scotland and the decline that's there today. And they have said that the decline continues. The entire Church of Scotland will be closed by 2047. But they had a great history in bygone days. When you go into Greyfriars Graveyard, and I'm sure many people here have been in there, if you haven't, your education's not complete. And the next time you go to Edinburgh, you must go to Greyfriars Graveyard. Your minister was saying about the letters of Samuel Rutherford. Folks, if you haven't read that, your education's not complete. You need to get a copy. It's a real inspiration. And of course, he was one of the Covenanters. The amazing thing tonight, I'm not going to highlight many of the big names because if you've ever been on a Covenanter trip, that's the ones you're going to hear about. But there's a multitude of people, 18,000 in all, who gave their lives. Many of their names are not much known today. But when you walk into the graveyard, the first thing you want to do is read the memorial stone and it calls your attention. I remember one day I was out fishing and I'm not much used to that, but I'd like to go. And I came in this old graveyard. I couldn't catch fish. I thought, let's walk around this old graveyard. And I cleared away the moss. And this grave was an 18-something. And it said, take heed, passerby. Just caught me. This is someone to say to me, take heed, passerby, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. You've got to face eternity. And when you go into grey fires, you will see those words, halt, passerby. Take heed what you do see, this tomb does show for what some men did die. Here lies interred the dust of those who stood against perjury, resisting unto blood, adhering to the covenants and laws, establishing the same. This was the cause their lives were sacrificed unto the lust of prelates adjured. So here their dust lies mixed with murderers and others whom justly, justice did to death pursue. As for them, no cause was to be found worthy of death, but only they were constant and steadfast, zealous, and witnessing for the prerogatives of Christ their King, which truths were sealed by famous Guthrie's head and unto Mr. Rennick's blood. They did endure the wrath of enemies, reproaches, torments, death, and injuries. And yet those from such troubles came now triumph in glory with the Lamb. If you look around, you will find that there is another memorial statement from the 27th of May, 1661, 
when the most noble Marcus of Argyle was beheaded on the 17th of February, 1788, Mr. James Rennick suffered. Rennick was 26 years old. When we talk about covenanters, we're not talking about all old people. Some of them were as young as 16. Rennick was 26 years old when he was done to death, where one way or another murdered and destroyed for the same cause, about 18,000 of them executed. And in Edinburgh, about 100 noblemen, gentlemen, ministers and other noble martyrs of Jesus Christ, most of them lie here. And of course you have still there the prison, the Covenanters' prison, in Greyfriars Graveyard. So when you walk through that gate, there's an awful lot of history will just meet you in the face and it's good to take time uh, to read and to pause and consider what those people did, men and women, boys and girls, for the liberty that you have to sit here tonight. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 12 said, Fight the good fight of faith. That's what the Covenanters in all conscience were doing. They were fighting the fight of faith. It was costly. Because the scripture says of Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15.26 that they were men who have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the picture of the Covenanters. They were following in the footsteps of Paul. They chose rather to suffer affliction than compromise their religious convictions and dishonor the Lord. Therefore, I believe it's important that we do not forget that history. Now, from my first got interested in them, and I got interested in them through reading a very simple novel, How Sleep the Brave. Anybody ever read that book, How Sleep the Brave? Good. Everybody should read it. And I believe if you read How Sleep the Brave, you'll be addicted to the story of the Covenanters. Now, my wife's more avid about this than me. And we have collected and collected and collected. And she carries around in her bag everywhere we go a list of all that we have, in case we see something else that we don't have. And then we pick that up as well. The faith of the Covenanters. And they were men and women and children of simple faith in Jesus Christ as Saviour, but they were ardent supporters of Presbyterianism. With a deep and genuine love for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his word and for his church. They desired to worship God with no interference from the crown or from the state. Now, they were not anti the crown. But they didn't feel that the crown should be interfering in how they worshipped God. And what they stood for, folks, they achieved. And today you and I enjoy the freedom to worship God because of the stand that they took 
for God, his word, his church, his truth. Now the story of the Covenanters goes way back. I believe back to the Reformation when the Scottish Parliament in 1560 passed an act where the Roman Catholic form of church hierarchy was abolished and all links with Rome were severed. The Mass was prescribed. Presbyterian form of government was established in the church. And then in 1584, the Parliament passed what was known as the Black Acts, which affirmed the authority of the king over the church, the restoration of bishops, and the placing of ministers under the control of bishops. Then in 1592, the Black Acts were abolished and the Golden Act was ratified, which then undid that and declared that the church was independent of the monarch. So there was a sort of a coming and going for a time. However, in 1618, James VI persuaded the General Assembly to adopt what was called Five Articles. This was too much for many of the covenanting tradition. Those five articles, the first one was kneeling at the communion rail. The second one was private communion. The third one was private <laughs> baptism. The fourth one, observation of church holy days. And then also the confirmation of children. That was obnoxious to those of covenanting persuasion. And it smacked to them of popery. And what the covenanters believed governed their behavior. But of course, folks, that's the same with a Christian, isn't it? What we believe should determine how we behave. And so it was with the covenanters. They, as I've said, had a simple but a very strong faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, and they sought to worship God in a simple but a sincere manner. Their aspirations, however, eventually forced them into action because they were determined to keep the faith at any cost. The fight of the Covenanters, their faith was simple, plain, and their worship of God, that's all they wanted as well. Now, that led to a tremendous conflict, a tremendous fight, because in 1637, of course, Charles decided to introduce a new service book to the Scottish Church. That would replace the old Book of Common Order. The new book, the Book of Common Prayer, that was compiled, compiled by the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Laud. And of course it was based on the whole Episcopalian way of worship and thought. We'll all be familiar with what happened then because at a service in St. Giles Church, that's the only Presbyterian cathedral by the way, St. Giles' Church. And uh, I don't know if you ever noticed, outside that church in the pavement, there's 
stones in the shape of a heart. And of course, history will say, but it's just uh, mere saying, that there lies the heart of John Knox. And you, next time you're there, you watch, and you will see a multitude of people just spitting on him. Because they hit, even today, the things that John Knox stood for. And so the 23rd of July, the year 1637, the minister read from this new book in St. Giles. There was a wee lady there. You always trust the women folks. And uh, she was by the name of Jenny Geddes. And as he started to read this, you know, people brought their own seat in those days, folks. It wasn't provided for people in those days like it is today. And she, the moment he started to read, she lifted her stool and she threw it at the cleric. And of course, all the people stood up and they applauded and they cheered. Whether or not the whole thing broke out into pandemonium and the service had to be totally abandoned that day. But what happened that day was this, folks. What that lady did, that was the spark that ignited the flame. A flame that would ultimately lead to the death of multitudes of God-fearing men, women and children and the securing of religious freedom. The Bible says no man liveth unto himself. And there she set the flame for the great work. Now in 1638, Hen Greyfriars, and of course folks, when you go there, that's also the place where many of the covenanters were hanged and publicly put to death and their lives were degraded before watching people. There was the signing of the National Covenant and of course many signed it there in the cemetery and of course some signed it with their own blood. That's how precious the whole thing was to them. And you know folks saw that even to us as God's people that our religion, our faith, must always be precious to us. And those who signed the National Covenant, they declared their loyalty to defend the true religion and recover the purity and liberty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it was all about. Of course, it enjoyed many signatures, such as the Earl of Sutherland, who was a very, very strong covenanter, but it also had the signature of the Marcus of Montrose. However, he abandoned the good cause. And, of course, betrayed many of them. Hundreds of copies of that covenant were being sent across Scotland, and it had the support, generally, of the entire Scottish people. I think over 300,000 people actually signed that particular covenant. There were many covenants, of course, but there was the two main ones. History tells us, of course, that in 1642 the English Civil War broke out. And that was between Charles and the Parliament. And in return for help, the supporters of Cromwell, they agreed to what was called a Solemn League and Covenant. 
declaring that Presbyterianism form of church worship would be the government of the Church of Scotland, England and Ireland. It all seems so good for a while. But you know when it comes to governments folks, sadly, very hard to believe a lot of what is said. In 1649, Charles I, well, he was beheaded, and then Charles II was crowned. And later that same year, he had to flee across to the continent for the safety of his own life. He had promised to uphold Presbyterianism, but broke his promise. It was actually in 1660 he was restored again to the throne and he immediately established Episcopacy. And that was a major blow to the Covenanters. He passed the Act of Supremacy which declared that the King was supreme in all matters concerning both church and state. And all legal, legal uh, Legal documents that were signed, the covenant, that was all repelled, counted for nothing. And he said, anybody who signed it, you were not held by it. And so the Solemn League and Covenant and the National Covenant were declared unlawful, and everyone who had signed them were no longer bound by them, he said, for the covenanters, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Now, and, and I hope I'm not boring these children with dates. I hope I'm not boring you with dates. And uh, the 8th of May, 1662, Parliament formally restored Episcopalianism, declared that all ministers and their parishes had to be approved by the bishops and local lairds, which meant that many, many ministers, almost 300, had to immediately vacate their pulpits. And people were left without a minister. And bishops and their cronies, they were forged upon them. And it meant that ministers must adhere to their regulations, and on failing to do so, they would be totally removed from any charge they had. Most of that, folks, took place in the southwest of Scotland, which meant that those ministers, they had to find other places at the peril of their own life to preach God's word. And they had to preach in barns and in other buildings. And then the authorities outlawed that. And then they took to the fields and to the glens and preached in what was known as conventicles. That also became a capital offence and note the word capital offence. They'd be put to death for that. How much we have to appreciate our freedom today. And because of that punishment by death, if they were found preaching in the open air or any stable or any building, that wasn't approved by bishops and all the rest of it, then they would be immediately declared outlaw and put to death. Thus began a terrible time of persecution and martyrdom for the Covenanters. They were constantly hunted and hounded 
down by what was known as government dragoons. Now this is where some people disagree with the covenanters. They were forced into a situation that caused them to take up arms. But folks, they had no other choice. And they took them up in self-defense. And that resulted in what was called the bloodiest history or events in Scottish history. There was a general by the name of Thomas Dalziel. He brutally, fiercely pursued the Covenanters. And in 1666, 30 Covenanters were hanged. And hundreds more were actually deported and were sent and made to work as slaves in Barbados. So the freedom that they purchased came at a terrible cost. They took up arms in a place called Drumclog and they won. But then the battle at Brothwell Bridge they suffered terribly and hundreds of the Covenanters were killed there slaughtered put to an awful death many will have read of the story of James Sharp and he was the Archbishop of St Andrews and he was hijacked by I think four or five of the Covenanters and Magus Moor. And he was killed. And his killing, why, that sparked a totally new level of persecution against the, Coven uh, the Covenanters and resulted in the government stepping up its campaign to root out the Covenanters and put them out of existence. That led to what was known as the Killing Times. When soldiers were given the power to kill anybody they suspected of being of covenanter persuasion, put them to death without any trial, without being answerable to anybody, just kill them. It became a terrible time with the result that hundreds of the covenanters were shot on sight or those whom they thought were covenanters. Regarding Sharp, and I have to say here, and I find it hard to say this, that not everything the Covenanters did could be condoned. But listen, folks, in any movement of God, things happen that maybe in normal circumstances wouldn't happen. You take the 1859 revival in this land, there were things happened where people claimed them to be manifestations of the Spirit and they could not be condoned. And things happened and one of the things that could not really be condoned by many of the Covenanters was the killing of Sharp. They put that down to plain murder. And actually... The Covenanter leaders expelled from their ranks some people who went to extreme measures and did things that really shouldn't have been done. 
The problem too also was this, that not every act they did could be condoned, but also sometimes they were not united in their efforts. And some were more extreme than others, and it brought problems to a large scale to a large scale upon them. You see, there were those especially who killed Sharp considered him a legitimate target. And they did that for this reason, because they saw him at Judas Iscariot. Because when you look into the history of Sharp, he really had been a Presbyterian minister. They had considered him at one stage to be one of them. But then for position and power, he turned coat and he became an Anglican. And they accused him of betraying their cause and actually accused him of setting up some of the covenanters to be killed. Position and power can corrupt. And many of the covenanters felt, which inspired them really to do this, that he had been corrupted by the promise of position and power. Now the persecution of covenanters continued. Many of them been put to death. And on the 27th of May in 1661, Argyle was the first martyr. And James Guthrie, one week later. They were zealous for the covenanting cause. Now, Cromwell referred to Guthrie because Guthrie was small. My brother, you and I are in good company with Guthrie. We're small. And Guthrie was a small man, and Cromwell referred to him as the little man who could not bow. One of the charges led against Guthrie was a pamphlet that he had produced. And, of course, that com- uh, pamphlet, it was sort of entitled The Causes of the Lord's wrath against Scotland. And that brought the wrath of the authorities. And they hanged him on the cross in Edinburgh. His head and his hands then were cut off. And they were placed on the nether bow in Scotland. And if you're walking down the Royal Mile in Scotland, uh, you can see a little bit of the nether bow there yet. Precious little bit of history. But not only was he killed, not only was his hands and his head put up there for public exhibition, but then all his possessions, anything he ever owned, that was all confiscated. And also his children were to pay the price because they were pronounced incapable of holding any office or property within the realm. So it shows you the extent to which they went against the covenanters. The last words of Guthrie were, as he was being put to death, the covenants, the covenants shall yet be Scotland's revival. And he would not bow. Now we've said at the beginning, there's big names there, which I don't want to go into because they're so common and people will have read of people like Samuel Rutherford and Samuel Rutherford was a great covenanter, but they didn't kill Rutherford. 
but they would have. And the night they came to get him, he was already on his deathbed. John Brown of Priest Hill, Covenanter, was shot in front of his wife and young children. Then there was the cruel drowning of the two Margarets at Wigton. And that was in May 80, uh, 1685. That has always been considered as one of the most hideous acts of all the persecution. When they were tied to a post, as the tide came in, but they would not recant, and they would not betray the cause, and they went to a watery grave. And so throughout the southwest of Scotland in particular, the moors, why they are spattered with the graves of the Covenanters. Richard Cameron, known as the Lion of the Covenant, he became one of the most wanted Covenanters of them all. And of course, he did meet his death on Erd's Moss when, along with eight others, they were slaughtered one of the eight being his own brother. Now Cameron's head and his hands were cut off. And they were cut off for this purpose. There was a bounty on his head. And so the authorities cut off his hands and his head and then presented them so that they could claim the bounty. They put no price upon these people. They were slaughtered like dogs. And all because they loved and stood for the crown rights of the Lord Jesus Christ. The trooper who delivered those hands and head to the council in Edinburgh said this. And was significant what he said. He said in presenting his hands and his head, he said, These are the heads and the hands of a man who lived praying and preaching. And who died praying and fighting. Fighting for the cause of Christ. Donald Cargill became the next leader of the Covenanters. Again, eventually captured, hanged in Edinburgh. James Rennick, when he became a real thorn in the side of the king. He was hunted down. He was executed in Edinburgh in 1688. And he was the last to be publicly hanged in Edinburgh. He was not, not the last of the Covenanters to die, but he was the last to be hanged publicly in Edinburgh. And on the scaffold in Grass Market, he sang Psalm 103. And he read the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation and he prayed before he went to meet his Lord. He was just 26. George Wood. And George Wood was the last covenanter to give his life. He was only a boy of 16. As I've already said, folks, many great names are mentioned among the Covenanters, James Guthrie, Donald Cargill, Samuel Rutherford, Alexander Peden, who was known as Prophet Peden, who was imprisoned on Bass Rock. 
but there's a multitude of them and their actual names are not recorded. And only eternity will reveal the names and the numbers of all who gave their life for Christ's crown and covenant. I just want to read a wee statement by the Reverend John Beveridge. He wrote the Covenanters' labours, their suffering and their victory were not for themselves alone, but for us. And we shall be most unworthy sons if we do not treasure aright the heritage that they have left us. We must hold it in trust for our posterity and we must be watchful against any infringement of our own liberties. It on to say this, all the forces of, God, of the God of battles will be on our side when we contend for liberty of conscience and the crown rights of King Jesus. And I believe the Lord was on the side of the Covenanters. It was a struggle for 50 years. 28 years of that 50 were years of brutality, slaughter, imprisonment, banishment by the authorities to the Covenanters. Cromwell said of a particular group of Christian people that they were of a godly sort. That's what could be said of the Covenanters. They were of a godly sort. They were a people who would not surrender their life, their rights, and they would not submit their conscience. They secured freedom from tyrannical rule and freedom of conscience for people like you and me. By their love for the Saviour. And by their courage. Their persistence. Their faith. They won not only for themselves. But for you and me. Religious liberty. They held their convictions tenaciously. And folks that's something that many Christians do not hold today. Is their convictions tenaciously. But they did. And they did that in the face of fierce opposition. Brutality, persecution, isolation and death. And the least we can do, folks, <coughs> is salute the memory of such people. Yes. You know, sadly, Scotland's in a terrible place religiously. I actually conducted a wedding. And many of the people there were Scottish. And I had preached a short message and then I got a letter from a lady who had been at that wedding from Scotland, who had been to many weddings where there had never been a simple message preached. And she was amazed and loved it and she asked me, could I give her a Bible from which I had read? People with a heritage like that, she didn't know where she would get a Bible. And I made sure I went and bought the exact Bible that I preached from and told her that. And the purpose for that was that she might really read it. It's true, people that forget their history, 
are doomed to repeat it. And folks, we have a glorious heritage. We thank God for men and women and children who stood even to death for the cause of Christ. Folks, this could go on for two months, but I know some of you are struggling. You're struggling, John, I know it, and um, others, but I trust that, folks, you might get a little interest. There's a multitude of books, to books the Bible says there is no end, and of the covenanters, there is no end. But every story is worth reading, and I trust the young in particular will get a real history. You know, even folks regarding our own church, Future generations do not know why this church came into existence. And that's a danger. And so history has to be taught. And I trust and I know that there's so many other covenanters we could make reference to. But if you ever get to Scotland, make sure you go to Edinburgh. Make sure you go to the cemetery. Make sure you go to the covenanters' prison. Make sure you read the inscription on the walls. Make sure you go outside and then see where they were hanged. And walk down the Royal Mile and see the Nether Bow where they were publicly exhibited after their death. It will be a challenge to your heart and an inspiration to your faith. Well, have a wee word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for men and women of old who stood for thee, who loved thee, and gave themselves for the cause of Christ's crown and kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that you'll make us a people faithful and loyal to thee. We ask, Lord, indeed, that their history will be an inspiration to us, not just to read about it, but to live for the Lord, that our light may so shine, that men may see our good works, and glorify our Father which is in heaven.